This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Hello, hello. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I'm joined here by my, you're going to like this, Brie, lovable co-host, Brie Tucker. Oh, <laughs> hello, hello. Oh, I feel so loved. So loved. It's all true. It's true. So welcome. I, you know, every time I do the podcast intro, if anyone listens to Armchair Expert, I always think of Dax Shepherds. It's like, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, I know, right? I always want to do that. But then I'm like, no, that's Dax's thing. So I try for hello, hello. And then I don't add the third one because I'm like, no, that's Dax's thing. Is it? Uh, too much thinking. I think it's just too much thinking in my mind going on. I so. think in this day and age, it's a little hard to have a tag that's just your own. It is. I mean, honestly, we all borrow at some point from somebody somewhere. That's where, <laughs> that's where we get the best inspiration, though, because there's something I read that there's no original ideas. It's just combinations of other ideas put out in new ways. True. I, I, I do agree with that. I think a lot of times, too, we also have that factor where we feel like we came up with something like completely original. And then there's always that one person that has that one shred of like a, oh, no. And then they show you that it's really something that you already knew in the yeah, past or that you'd heard. And you're like, Eh. It's something that you've been exposed to unwittingly and it just like stayed there nested in the back of your brain and popped up like an original idea, but it wasn't original. <gasps> yeah, subconsciously just sitting there. Those, yeah. <laughs> those, those get me. I get those from time to time. And then I'm like, oh, it's such a great idea. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Well, and it's funny too, like I was writing a blog post the other day for our No Guilt Mom and I'm like, hey, where's that one post you wrote like four, five, gosh, I guess actually it was way back further back because Eric was, was a baby. It, like, like it's insane so that many it was years that long ago, ago. And you were like, what? And I'm like, remember this post? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that was the what real moms look like post. Yes, had to yes. do with our body image post that we recently did. So yeah. Yeah, if you guys want to talk about, the, if you want to hear the positive body image episode that just aired recently, that is episode, it's so funny. I have like 22. Oh, you have it right there. Well, I'm the producer. Yes, yeah. you're the producer. It's your job. It's your job. I'm glad. I'm so right happy you're the producer. Talking about like podcast info, if you have anything that you would like to see on the podcast, or if you just want to tell us some stuff you like about the podcast, or maybe some stuff that you think we should improve about the podcast, or any guests you want us to reach out to, please email us hello at noguiltmom.com. We would love to hear from you. And if I have reached out to you as a guest, come on, man. Come we're on. Fun. We're a fun group of gals, the two of us. <laughs> we have we have some great guests coming up here. Uh, today's we guest do. in particular was amazing. Her name is Phyllis Fagel. And she, oh, if you need help with your middle schooler, this is the episode for you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I know I talk about it a lot. I have two kids that are 12 and 13. So they're right in the thick of it right now. We've got our seventh and our eighth grader. And man, I'm terrified about what's going on. Just terrified and being scared as a parent of like all the things I have to, I know that's coming up that I'm, and after reading her book, she has an an amazing book. What was it? The, the, um, middle school matters. Yes. Middle school matters. The 10 skills every middle schooler needs to have success. And, I just, in reading it, some of the things that I was nervous about, I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like five years behind on this. All right. I guess I better really get moving forward. So I've got a lot of touchy subjects I need to bring up with my kids about, you know, that not so comfortable things. Sex. Yeah. Drew <laughs> <laughs> was like, I'm just going to say it. Throw just, it out there, Bree. I'm just going to say it. There. You know, it's always been one of those subjects in our house that I, we've talked about it from a very young age and they kind of know everything because... I've approached it from the matter where I've never sat them down to have a talk, but every time they've asked a question, I've answered it right then and there. And that could be sometimes really embarrassing. I remember one time we were walking into the grocery store and my son is like, mom, how do babies get in mommy's tummies? And I'm like, oh crap. Like we're right in the middle of fries, dude. Like how am I supposed to answer this question? You're like, could we just move this to the car? (laughs) And I mean, he was like five or six. And so I did answer it for him later. And I'm hoping that he remembers all of the everything I told him. I feel like I've been pretty straightforward, but uh, some of the roadblocks we've hit is that I I know I've never had a very in-depth conversation because they've never asked very in-depth questions. And they're at a charter school that doesn't do... Which I wish I had realized. I mean, I guess I just didn't ask the question. Yeah. But now that they're in seventh and eighth grade, I'm like, oh, wow, what a huge disservice that their school doesn't teach them anything about human sexuality. Like they didn't have any of those conversations that typically start in the public schools around fifth, yeah. sixth grade. Oh, they, they didn't do anything like that? Unfortunately, that's a big no-no. <gasps> I used to have at. to teach those classes. I used to have to teach human growth and development. Uh, it was like one week out of the whole school year. And we had scripts and we could not deviate from those scripts as teachers. And we'd split up with the boys. There'd be one classroom of boys and one classroom of girls. And it was like an all-female fifth grade team. And so we're like, okay, who's taking the boys? (laughs) You draw the short stick. Here you go. And I did take the boys. We had like the male PE teacher in the room at the same time. But the curriculum was very like scientific and like... Right. And it needs to be. Yeah. It was like no emotions attached. But at the same time, when you have like 
oh, there was like 45 fifth grade boys in a classroom teaching them human growth and development, you can kind of guess how that might go awry. Uh, So I would always set like the big rule. I'm like, you might feel like you need to laugh. You might feel like you need to say something that is smart and make other people laugh. Don't do it. Bite your lip. Keep it under control. And that was my rules. And they they kept it under control. And I think they were more so mortified that their fifth grade teacher was teaching them human growth and development. But entirely possible. Entirely. So I've always approached it from that standpoint. But I think I've been trained to approach it in that standpoint just from my role in the classroom. So the sex talk is a big thing. I've been like fretting. And being a single mom, that's also in having a, a son yeah. has been difficult. It just how to navigate that situation. Not that I'm ignoring the co-parenting situation. It's just it's it's a different setup. So that was it. But another one too is like it, we talk about it a lot, you and I do, like relationships, how those change and change in dynamic from elementary to middle school slash junior high, especially for girls. It's a big change in relationship dynamics and how to navigate that because I can see some of it and some of it we don't see. And if I reflect back to my own childhood, I'll be like, yeah, I know that there were some things that I really struggled with that I didn't reach out to my parents about because I was embarrassed that it was happening. I was embarrassed that there were like rumors and whispering and things like that. And you don't want to admit that you need help with it. So instead you internalize it all and then you feel like crap. Yes. And I'm just like, oh, how do you approach that? I went through that in middle school. Like middle school so scarred me so much so that when my daughter was entering middle school, I'm like, okay, here's everything that happened to me. Everything. You and I have both been like super honest with both of our kids about all the things that were happening to us. Just And you know what? I feel like a big factor of that is too. I want both of my kids to see that crappy things can happen to you and you can, mm-hmm. and it, I, I'm well adjusted-ish. Yes. <laughs> I'm a pretty it cool even, person. It makes you a more empathetic person, I think, when crappy things happen to you and you're able to overcome them and be resilient about them. I, I think, mean, yeah, it doesn't, it's not like a toxic positivity thing. It's more of a, okay, this, this is crap. Okay. How, what's my next step and what's my next step? And pretty soon, like down the road, as days go on, you find that you have healed from that crappy situation and uh, rebound it. And I think it makes you a more empathetic person. It does. And empathy is a huge thing. But another thing I feel like, again, coming on that that area of empathy, I think being open and honest with our middle schoolers and mm-hmm. junior high students about the things that we went through when we were their age, they see us as parents, as mm-hmm. people that pretty much have a lot of stuff together. Yeah. And even though right now, a lot of those tween to early teens are going through the whole mom and dad, you don't know what you're talking about, I am so smart kind of thought process. They do still see us as people that generally have it together. So when they see that we struggled, it kind of normalizes it a little bit more, makes it a little bit less of a taboo situation. Mm-hmm. Again, like that's, I know at least for me, that's why I kept a lot of it in. Like, cause my, I didn't know if my parents had been through this. It didn't seem like they had. So they wouldn't be able yeah. to understand or offer me any support. How could they possibly understand? How could they know? Because to you, it looked like your parents had this ideal middle school experience where everything was happy and good. And then like, yeah. you internalize that and be like, oh, mine's not happy and good. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. Right. Yeah. So, so we dig really t- deep into relationships and everything with yes. Phyllis. Oh, in her book, I just cannot give it like any parent that has a kid that is getting ready to go into middle school or junior high. This book is just, it has to be on your must read list. It's its very easy to read. It was very well put together, very well laid out, practical suggestions. And it goes both for teachers and for 
because there were suggestions both for teachers and for parents. So it's a great book all around. Highly recommend. It's great. So Phyllis Fagel, she is the author of Middle School Matters. She's a journalist, a school counselor, and a mental health therapist. Right now, she's a full-time school counselor in a K-8 through school, and she's trying to change the way that society thinks about counseling, educating, and raising middle schoolers. We hope you enjoy our interview with Phyllis. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Hey, Phyllis, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. So happy to be here. While reading your book, something that I found that was really, really interesting is that we have a mutual distaste of The Bachelor. Oh my gosh, totally. It's (laughs) such a horrible depiction of what true love is. Exactly, exactly. Like how, okay, so I watch Dancing with the Stars and they have Bachelor and Bachelorettes come on there all the time. And I'm like, how could you like, think you're finding love this way and how can we show others like other people that this is how you find like your soulmate and the other the other weird part is like do they not realize it's a competition it's like (laughs) people want to win they don't necessarily care about you i don't uh yeah i want to be on screen right Right. you're gonna make me famous but you said something about like your kids watching the bachelor and how it's actually really awesome because of something it does in your house Yes, I had to completely shift how I viewed The Bachelor because rather than saying to my kids, you can't watch this trash, I instead decided to use it as an opportunity to talk to them about what relationships should look like. So in my book, I talk about how they tease me and they will say, you know, it is true love and this is exactly what relationships are like. But of course, they know that's not true. So I sit there yelling at the TV and it's a chance to just share what my own values are when it comes to relationships. In all fairness, we all get our own little fantasies about what true love is. Like I, growing up as a child of the eighties, I was insistent that I was going to meet my Jake Ryan and, and going to have a birthday cake on a table. And that would be true love. Yeah. I think <laughs> it didn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that no, way and at all. In the eighties, like, I don't even know your name. You can right. just ride off into the sunset with them. That was another thing you talked about. Because like, oh my gosh. How warped are we to start relationships based on what we saw in the eighties? Oh, messes you up. A lot of us up for failure. I was watching Dirty Dancing again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awful. (laughs) And that was probably my favorite movie. My favorite. It still is. Like, I remember my whole sorority house watching that. Like, when college in the late 90s, everybody was like, oh, Dirty Dancing. And you look at it when you're a little older, you're like, oh, ooh, ow, I don't remember that scene. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Just the fact that like Johnny came in and he's like, oh, you saved me from having this meaningless sex with everyone else because you saw the true me. I was like, holy cow. So, but we digress and relationships are something that we're talking about a lot today because you have some great advice for us parents, especially as middle schoolers. So could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? 
Sure. So I'm a school counselor and a psychotherapist. I work in a K through eight, which is kind of fun because I get to see the kids go through all of the phases and then work with them when they're in middle school and start to hit some bumpier times. And I'm also a writer, wrote Middle School Matters, and I write a column pretty frequently for the Washington Post on counseling and education. And both Bree and I read Middle School Matters as, as parents of seventh graders and like yes. eighth grade boy with Bree. Oh my gosh. Yes, like, I, I highly recommend this book to any parent. Because I mean, like once your kid hits middle school, it's scary. It is. I mean, if you re- like, and you talk about that in the book too, reflecting back on your own life of what you grew up with and not wanting your kids to have the same trials and tribulations that you had. Mm-hmm. You try to help support them, but they're, you know, yeah. I had a friend recently send me a tape that somebody had taken back when we were in middle and high school. They had borrowed their mother's black and white video camera and walked around. And this friend sent me the tape and said, I have been dysregulated for about four hours since I watched this. And so now I need you to watch it and be dysregulated with me. And I said, oh, sounds tempting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yay. (laughs) But it did. It brought it all back. It brings uh, it all back. It's funny because I I was the most scared of having my daughter enter middle school because I had one of those situations where I was friends with this group of girls and I thought everything was great. And all of a sudden they turned on me and they left me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want that for my daughter. No, it's, it's worse in some ways seeing your daughter go through something like that than it was even for you experiencing it firsthand. Yeah. But I like in your book, how you say that, you know, some of these issues that kids deal with in middle school actually prepare them to be more empathetic and resilient in the future. And I could say like, that's totally right for me because now my whole career is like teaching other kids and other parents how to like get through these tough times Mm -hmm. and get these social skills. So middle school was like that forming experience. So you have in your book, 10 key skills that kids need to thrive in middle school. So can you describe those skills that they need? Yes. And these are skills that they're not going to acquire fully in middle school, but these are ones that I think middle school is a prime time to really zero in on and help them develop them because they'll be helpful not only in middle school, but in high school and in life. And they are make good friend choices, negotiate conflict, manage a student teacher mismatch, which every kid goes through and is a particularly hard thing to help your kid deal with. Create homework and organization systems because no middle schoolers have excellent executive functioning skills. Consider others' perspectives because how awesome is it if you can learn to embrace differences at a time when you're so mercilessly self-critical. Self-advocate, which is especially true right now for kids who are learning virtually and have to deal with teachers from afar. Self-regulate emotions, again, so critical right now during a pandemic. Cultivate passions and recognize limitations. This is a time when kids are so aware of how they stack up to others and start to be really self-conscious about trying things that they're not good at or that they perceive they're not good at. Make responsible, healthy, and ethical choices because kids are still forming their values and their sense of what is right and what is wrong and create and innovate because we know this is an age when kids start to lose not only their confidence, but also their creativity. That. It was such a shocking stat that you put in there that like creativity declines so much from elementary school to middle school. It breaks my heart. It's crazy. And actually, if between ages eight and 12, so at five, a kid has 90% of their creativity. At eight, they have 30%. And if you don't get in there and do something to help them retain that creativity, at 12, they only have 12%. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. 
Hey guys, Brie here, and let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick treatment away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. And as adults, we have 2% of the creativity we had at age five. I I, I tend to believe it. I, f- I feel like creativity, you need to come to it at a place with like a relaxation and like play. And so many adults, we come to it with like, must get all the things done. And that's like total like stressor to creativity. Right. I would always struggle whenever I think I'm a pretty creative person, Mm -hmm. but yet I would always struggle when trying to get down to the creative play of like the Barbies or the Legos. I just, I'd be like, no, give me directions. I don't, I I need directions. I don't know how to do this on my own. (laughs) And actually a lot of parents will say that they're not good at play. So some of the parents who really felt that they fell flat when their kids were little do great in the middle school years when it's based more on conversation. Yeah. I, I am actually really enjoying the middle school years and having it being based on conversation because I was one of those parents who like, I can't, like, I don't do imaginative play like that. I, I, I don't know, like my play when I was younger, it was always in my head. I was always acting. And I thought like there was a, a camera following me around. I pretended like Ses- I didn't know Sesame oh, Street. So it's- Truman Show. Yeah, yeah no, it was like a little on. Truman Show going yeah. on all the time when I played because I, my sister was seven years younger than me and I had to play by myself. So <laughs> And that was great creativity. 
And that was creativity yeah. and that was mine. But having to do that with another person, I just like, I, I stall, but this middle school age with conversations and like learning about feelings and learning how to manage anxiety and learning how to manage relationships. I'm like, I'm all in. (laughs) (laughs) I've got, I've got the connection piece down. I have to keep reminding myself of that, but I'm psyching myself out having two kids in middle school. I just, I'm definitely psyching myself out. So reading your book made me feel like a, a lot of the information you were giving in there. I'm like, wow, okay, this is doable. These are things that I can actually do or that some of them I was doing. So it definitely helped with that self-esteem and then also helped kind of decrease some of that anxiety. So that's great to hear. And, and it's not actually that dissimilar from kids because when we give them the tools to manage anxiety and we give them back a sense of control and power, that's helping them in the same way that you're reading the book helped you. Everybody wants to feel like they have concrete things that they can do to help. I, I was actually taking notes for myself when I was reading one of the sections <laughs> in your book. It was oh, the yeah. empowerment and resilience one with all the anxiety tools. And it's so funny because I actually use one of the tools you suggested this morning with my daughter in the car. She has this uh, fear of fire alarms happening at her school and she can't stop thinking about the fire alarms. Uh, they totally freak her out. Uh, and so I use the white bears and oh, I'm like, I love that. Yeah. I'm like, do you want to, I'm like, do you want to try something? And she's like, okay, I'll try something. And I had her think of white bears for a minute. And then I had her try to think of not like, don't even think of white bears. And she's like, nope, can't do that. And then I had her count the polka dots on my sunglasses for a minute and asked her if she thought of any white bears. And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, that's what you could do. Like if you like tell yourself, don't think about fire alarms, it doesn't work, but you can like refocus. And she got it. She got oh it. Gosh. It was like parenting win. <laughs> so I love you that. that. You proved it to her that she could change the channel on her thoughts. I loved it. I loved it so much. Oh, I'm so impressed that you did that in the car too. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that where like 90% of parenting happens with these Definitely. middle schoolers? You're shuffling them from thing to thing. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this in the car. Gotta do it. Yeah, gotta do it in the car. And it's great because you don't have eye contact. It's not even like as confrontational. So it works really well, the car. Yeah, for sure. So going into like these relationships that our kids have in middle school, because there's all sorts of drama happening. We hear about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Like there's sleepover drama, there's friend drama, and it's really hard as a parent to know what guidance we need to give our kids about this. Like one of the stats you had in your book was that friendships formed in seventh grade, only 1% will still be intact later on. It is crazy. That's crazy. And then what do you recommend when the drama starts coming home and your kids are starting to say, so-and-so doesn't like me? Uh, Or those friendships that they once had in elementary school seem to be wavering and, and they're just so confused as to why. Well, there, it's first of all, it's so painful and we want to make sure that we're validating for our kids that we recognize that it's real heartbreak and it's hard for parents to, especially if their friends are the children of your friends and these are long lasting friendships. And as parents, we want to fix it and get in there and just have them play nice with one another again, the way they did in elementary school. And we just can't do that anymore. And there are a lot of different things going on. There's a difference in maturity level that might be happening. You can have one sixth grader who's into dolls and another one who's ranking crushes and putting on makeup. And that's a huge divide and and also very hard for the kid who feels left behind to manage. And then you have 
these kids who are at an age where it is literally their job to figure out who they are and what their identity is. And the only way to do that is to try on different ones and to shift around to different friend groups, which is what I think explains that statistic. This is exactly when kids are figuring out what they want from a friend and what they can give to a friend. And if we deprive them of that hard work, as hard as it is and as excruciating as it is to watch our kids go through it, then they won't acquire the skills they're going to need later when they're adults and they're deciding to leave a bad job or to leave a bad relationship or to figure out who they want to hang out with after work or in their own personal life as friends. I, I love that advice. And one another thing you said in your book was that about kids kind of pretending to be someone that they're not to make a friend happy. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And actually, I was just listening to a new podcast that came out for tweens, and it's called We Got You. It's from the Tracks Network. And in this podcast, older teens in high school advise middle schoolers. And one kid was talking on air about how they felt self-conscious about having dyslexia and how they were trying to hide it and conceal that they had this issue. And the older teen said, the harder you try to fit in, or to be something you're not, the more you distance yourself from who you really are. And I thought that was such a profound comment, particularly coming from this teen. But kids are at an age in middle school when they are twisting themselves into a pretzel to fit in, where they will do anything to conform to the norm. And they're not accepting of their own quirks and idiosyncrasies. And so we want to make sure as parents that we are highlighting their strengths. We can say to them, you know, what are two strengths in that perceived weakness if they're just zeroing in on something that they think is wrong with them. But this is a time when we want to do whatever we can to boost their confidence and to help them recognize when a friendship isn't working for them or when someone is stealing their joy or undermining or sabotaging them. We just can't tell them what to do. We have to just show curiosity and ask questions that get them to think critically about it. Which is hard because I think a lot of us parents are fixers and we're, we know from our experience like, oh, this might work and this might work. But then when we suggest them, our kids push us away. Yeah. They're like, how do you know? Is it mom? It's not like it was when you were younger. That's what I hear a lot. Yeah. And really it was, it isn't at all like it was when we were younger. I think there's probably the biggest generational divide between, and I have a seventh grader myself, between that generation and our experience. And I think it's okay to say, yeah, you're right. You are the expert in your own life and you are the expert in what's going on. So tell me what's going on. Who is it that you have fun with? Who is it that makes you feel like you are on top of the world and who makes you laugh and who do you feel like you can be silly with and be yourself with and just having those conversations and letting them tell us how they're feeling. I have to remind myself sometimes that our job is not to shield kids from disappointment. Our job is to help them recover when they experience it because of course we want to make our children feel good in every moment, but we're not necessarily doing them any favors when we do that anyway. Right. That whole gift of failure they need to be able to learn from those mistakes. And, and when is the best time for that to happen while we're still here mm-hmm. and we can still help guide. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to like teach them how to cope and teach them how to like recover from yeah. like this relationship drama. Like I feel like, you know, as adults, we still deal with the relationship drama mm-hmm. and seeing our kids like have to go through that same pain, as you said, is so so difficult just to step back and be like, and just get their feelings out. Yeah. What do you do if like you ask your kid to tell you their strengths and they're like, I don't have any strengths. 
and they're just in that down of the dumps. You know, I think you have to teach kids how to think more flexibly. So if they come to the worst case conclusion, and I, I'm in my office, I don't, you probably can't see it behind me, but I have a magnetic dartboard and I ask kids to throw the dart at the dartboard and tell me how close to the bullseye they think their thought is. Because what we want to be doing is, and middle schoolers tend to respond pretty well to metaphors, but we want them to understand that even though we think we would never lie to ourselves, we lie to ourselves all of the time. If 20 people tell a middle schooler that they got an awesome haircut and then one person walks up and goes, oh, you got a haircut. I promise you for the rest of that day, that kid is going to walk around thinking that there's something wrong with their head. But of course, we know as adults that it was just one comment out of 21 and they're completely discounting the positive. So they're making that thinking error. So one game I really like to play with middle schoolers is the maybe game. Give me five alternative explanations for why they didn't include you in that Netflix party. And I like also to have them include one that's really ridiculous. You know, maybe they didn't invite me because aliens had abducted them and taken them to outer space. But we want to be using humor as much as we can, too, to lighten the mood. But if a kid comes in and says, I'm worthless and I struggle at school and school is easier for everybody else, I'll say to them, what are two good things about finding school difficult? What are two good things about that part of you? And maybe they'll eventually be able to say, well, I'm pretty understanding when other kids have to get up and present to the class and I try to smile at them and make them feel better. Or because I know things don't come easy to me, I have a greater sense of achievement when I do absorb new information. And so we want to be helping kids understand that having things come easy or having everything be perfect isn't necessarily the ideal situation anyway. Okay. How burned out are you as a parent right now? I mean, how burned out are you right now, Brie? Uh, a ton. This whole pandemic. <laughs> this whole pandemic, this whole everything, this, this whole, whole 2020. 2020. Yes. <laughs> exactly. This whole 2020. And sometimes like the best thing that I found for burnout is just to find like new ideas. And usually new ideas inspire me to like try things a different way or look at things with a different perspective. And so that is why we are recommending this parenting in place masterclass series that's going on right now. It runs November 17th through January 19th. So you have not missed out. And it comes from a group of parenting experts, therapists, authors, educators, and neuroscientists. For the neuroscience, who've uh, come together to share their very best strategies and ideas for how you and your family can thrive this fall, and we have a lot of friends of the podcast in this parenting in place masterclass series. We do, including <laughs> Phyllis Fagel, who's on today. Yes, <laughs> but also uh, Tina Payne Bryson is in this series, the co-author of The Whole Brain Child, and several other great books. Ned Johnson co-author of Self-Driven Child, yep, and uh, Audrey Monkey, who we'll have on later, who writes Happy Campers. It's an amazing series. The price right now is $49, but you get access to all the sessions you might have missed so far. And the future sessions are live. So you get to ask Ooh. all these questions and really yes. feel like you're not alone in this whole parenting struggle. So not just watching it, actually getting answers. Actually That's getting phenomenal. answers. So check out that Parenting in Place Masterclass series. Sign up. You can find the link in our show notes and on with the show. I love that maybe game. Like already I'm thinking the maybe game with like social skills and friendships. I'm like, okay, like 
why did they like, like not talk to you and just have them come up with those alternate conclusions and alternate like explanations? Yeah. If, if a kid says to you, she was looking really funny at me, I mean, is it possible she had a stomach ache? Is it possible she was anxious because she had a test next period? Is it possible that she had just gotten out of the car with her parents and had thought about how they were late for school? Could be anything. We tend to immediately go to the worst case scenario if we are 12, 13, or 14, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a true conclusion or that our thoughts are accurate. That, that's interesting you say the looking funny because I noticed that like in my daughter, if I have a certain tone of voice, like she'll automatically think I'm mad at her or like she did something wrong and just having her be more flexible in her thinking with like, no, like I was tired and have her like think of those things I think would be so helpful. Yeah, you definitely can mention that in the moment. But I think for parents who are listening, it's important to know that kids in this age group misinterpret comments about 40% of the time. And so if your facial expression doesn't match your words, or if let's say you tell them constantly that you don't care what grade they get, and you just want them to try their hardest, and they get out of school, and they are upset because they just got a C on a quiz, and you wait a full minute before you say that's okay, then what they're going to walk away thinking is that you're not being authentic, that you're not telling them the truth. So we as parents have to be really careful that we are consistent in what information we want to convey to them and how we do that. I deal with that all the time with both of my kids. Like where if if my facial expression or my body language doesn't match, I have to give the reason for that. So like constantly my daughter will think that I'm upset with her about something and I have to be like, no, I'm thinking. And so I have to do exactly what you're saying. No, I'm thinking about this or this happened earlier today or I'm just waiting for that other car to turn left and they're driving me bonkers and they haven't (laughs) turned left yet. So that's why I look so frustrated right now. Because again... 90% of our conversations happen in the car. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit to this FOMO that kids have. Yeah. Yeah. You're missing out. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. So one of the stories you told is about girls at a sleepover who were doing like the constant live. I hate that story. (laughs) Oh, my God. Could you share that? (laughs) Oh, it's the worst. It's a story. And I, and I feel like I have to preface it by saying, I think that middle schoolers are good people. And that most of the time when they make mistakes, it's simply because they're still developing these skills and empathy. But this happens to be a particularly glaring example of someone trying on mean behavior. And these kids had been not that kind to one of their peers. And they invited her to a sleepover, which she was really excited about because she wanted to be a part of this group. But the caveat was she couldn't actually attend the sleepover in person. She could come in on FaceTime and watch them having fun without her. And so, of course, this was not a fun experience for her. And So she would start to drift away and do something else. And every time she did that, they would do something subtly off camera to lure her back in so that she would be feeling that FOMO again, which is awful for the kid. And it was awful for the parent who didn't know until after the fact. And there was so much teaching that had to go on as a result of that one incident, both for the kids who were cruel, but also to help the child who had decided to attend this sleepover only virtually to boost them up so that they wouldn't make that kind of a choice again. 
that they would realize that they deserved better. One of the stats like you gave in the group, and I feel like this relates to the girls who were actually at the sleepover doing the Instagram, like doing the live, is when kids focus on status more than likability and kindness, they tend to have like higher rates of addiction and depression later on. Those kids who were live at the sleepover and who subjected this other girl to basically, I don't know, the controlling behavior and making them at a higher status. Like, what do you do as a parent to start changing that behavior yeah, and start you, showing them? So yeah, if you see that your child is the one that's participating in the mean behavior, yeah, what are, what are the things you can do to help guide them in the right direction? You know, I think it it's not just waiting for those big moments where you have to have an intervention. If you have two kids in the backseat of your car and you're driving them to soccer or you're driving them to religious school, whatever you happen to be doing, and you can hear them having a conversation and they're either plotting something mean or saying something mean about another child. I think a lot of parents of middle schoolers think they're too old for me to jump in and say something, or I don't want them to stop talking or to embarrass my own child. But really, we do want to be using those opportunities to teach our kids what we expect of them. There's really a lot of power in the disappointment of a parent, particularly when it comes to character. And it's a chance to just in a gentle way say, wow, it sounds like she, that child is really struggling socially. What do you think is going on with her? Or how are you helping her? Just making the assumption that they actually plan to do something kind and call them on it in that moment and use it as a teaching moment. And I do remind parents that if their child is the one being mean, you almost want to be even more involved than if your child is the target, partially because of the statistics that you just shared. It is only adaptive to use power and aggression through about 12th grade. And after that, if you have not developed the skills of likability, if you don't know how to get friends through kindness and reciprocity and generosity and being a good listener, you're going to struggle in every aspect of your life. You're even going to have less higher education than someone who is kind to others. You have probably heard me talk about my dog, Addie, before. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a counter surfer. Now, counter surfing animals are the ones who jump on counters, especially kitchen counters, when you're not looking and take stuff off of them. Well, in this instance, Addie had jumped onto the kitchen counter and eaten an entire bottle of my other dog's pain medication. You can imagine the freak out that ensued from me. So imagine this. You're at the vet's office again, knowing that vet care costs continue to rise. You're anxiously waiting to hear how expensive the bill will be. But if you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care that they may need. They allow you to customize the plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. 
It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash no guilt. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. That That is interesting because so often, like we think that as a society, what kids need to do to get ahead is they need the best grades and they need like the best extracurricular activities. But hearing that what they really need is develop kindness and likability is is kind of game changing in a way for parenting. It really is. And in fact, I interviewed a researcher at the University of California, Robert Farris. And at the time I interviewed him, he was the new parent of an 18-month-old daughter. And he told me that his biggest fear in life was that his daughter would be popular. And the reason he felt that way is because his research showed that as you go up the packing order in terms of popularity, and if you talk to middle schoolers, they can rank everyone to a person in popularity. This is a language they speak. But as kids are going up that ladder, they are stepping on the heads of the people below them to get that status, which means that the kids toward the top of the heap have no true friends. Those are all really fragile friendships that are based on power and aggression and not based on that reciprocity. So the kids who are happiest are not the kids at the top of the heap or near the top of the heap, but the kids who are out to left or right field, but who have found a few really good, solid, trusting friendships. I mean, looking back at my own life and my own experience, like that's so true because I had some really good friends in middle school. I didn't have many and I felt always like on the outside of popularity. What about you? What was your middle school like? It was really similar to yours. I I was lucky. Like by the end of seventh, beginning of eighth grade, I had like a core group of friends and we stayed, the four of us stayed best friends all the way through until college. Mm -hmm. But I was also like picked on quite a bit. I was definitely not a popular girl. Nope, nope, nope. Free, (laughs) free beat her own drummer, which confused the popular people to no avail. So I was just weird and quirky and off oh. on my own. But yeah, so it, my daughter is very much like me. And my son has, is a lot like me, but quieter. So I'm interested, <laughs> Phyllis, what was your middle school experience like? You know, I, listening to you talk, I think I was similar in a lot of ways. I was not great at picking friends. I was drawn to the people who had some status because I didn't think that highly of myself. And so I felt better being around people who seemed to have more confidence. But as a result, those were not necessarily the most loyal friends. And so there was a fair amount of shifting, just like I write about in the book. I was also really young for my age. I don't mean chronologically, but I was kind of 12 going on eight. I was one of the kids who was still the mind of an elementary school kid as everyone around me was growing up too fast. And that was stressful for me. I just wanted to slow down the clock. And 
one of the things that I really tried hardest with my own three kids to do as they went through middle school was to highlight how important it is to choose quality friends, to not worry about their status, to not worry about the quantity, because I think looking back, that is the hardest lesson for middle schoolers to learn, to surround themselves with people who make them feel great. Yeah. It is hard and for them to like make the choices of friends based on like who who does make them feel good versus like if that person who makes them feel good is ostracized by the rest of a peer group that they want to fit into. I feel like it's very, very hard for middle schoolers to like say like, no, I'm going to hang out with this person regardless about what my peer group thinks. And that's something that like, that is hard. It, yeah. It's like, it's something as a parent, like I always point out and I'm like, oh, but you have such fun together and it's wonderful. I'll explain to kids that there's interference that can get in the way. You know, you might not stand up for somebody because you don't want to get targeted yourself or because you feel like your own place in that social system is so fragile. And then we want to be giving them some compelling counter arguments to why they want to do it anyway. I remember with my own parents, they used to make me invite everybody to my parties. And in middle school, I didn't want to because I felt like like you were just saying, it might crimp my own style, affect my own reputation. And not that long ago, and this really just struck me, I happened to be on a call and somebody on the call in this presentation in another country who had gone to school with me as a child and who had been targeted and bullied said, I came here tonight because I remembered that you invited me to your parties when no one else did. And I was so grateful to my parents in that moment because honestly, I didn't do that out of some goodness of my own heart. I did it because my parents forced me to be better than I was at the time. So also taking that long view and recognizing that sometimes we're going to help our kids be better and they may not seem grateful in the moment, but in the long run, they will appreciate it. That really comes back to the whole status versus likability, like really reaching out to people who are struggling and not worrying about how others perceive you. So important. So I I have another question that I feel like is really based on like what's going on right now here, 2020, and we're in the pandemic. So there are so many kids that transitioned from an elementary format into a middle school format. And I'm thinking about like the, basically that big jump from that one teacher classroom, you've had pretty much the same group of kids in your classroom, probably for the last few years. And then all of a sudden, you're into this new middle school or junior high format where there are multiple different teachers. The expectations are different at school. There are new faces, especially if they moved into a new school that had several different like elementary schools feeding in there. So there's faces and and people they don't know, relationships they're not aware of. So these kids got dropped into the situation, which we already know is hard enough, right, to begin with. But now now let's add in the pandemic. So some of these kids are doing it online. They're not getting to see anybody in person. And they're struggling with this change. They're struggling with both the academic change of it, as well as the the social aspect of becoming these middle school or junior hires. Is there any advice or support that we as parents can give to help our children be at least a little bit less stressed out during this time? So I think we want to be doing what we can to set them up for success. So academically, because parents are at home, if the child is learning virtually, the parent is at home really seeing where they're running into problems. And even in the best of times, parents often worry that their middle schoolers are lazy. And I have to remind them that future planning as a skill doesn't kick in until about age 15. So these are kids who truly cannot manage the 
seven teachers without support. So parents can help by using planners, whiteboards, whatever they can to help make sure that they have an uncluttered workspace, helping with reminders. The one thing we don't want parents doing is doing the work for their child or deciding what's developmentally appropriate. That's what the teacher can do. And if it starts to be full of conflict, like your child is refusing to go to to the virtual classes or refusing to do any work. And I've seen so many more students struggling, even really strong students who were straight A's might be getting F's right now or D's, whatever their school system happens to use. We want to be reaching out to the school and having them jump in because when you're in the middle of a trauma and there's no question that the pandemic is a trauma for kids, we want home to be a really peaceful, calm place, supportive place, and starting from love. The most protective thing we can do for our kids right now is be their person be on their side and to be in their corner and to be looking for their strengths. Socially, we want to make sure that we are understanding who our child is. So if they are not looking for more and they're doing okay, we don't want to be conveying disappointment that they're not being more social. A lot of boys in particular are not that interested in virtual socializing. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. It's just how they're wired. And with the extroverts, we want to make sure that we're helping them find ways that they can stay connected to their friends the best possible. And if they have no social skills, they probably were struggling before, but are struggling even more now. So looking for opportunities to boost their skills, not shame them, but to say, you know, I noticed when you were on that Zoom call for class, you were talking about one topic while the rest of the class was talking about something else. Or I noticed people's attention drifted away. I wonder if it's because you were talking about something different. Have you considered waiting a few minutes and then saying a comment or asking a question related to what they were talking about? So using it as an opportunity to boost their skills. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a scary time right now, I think, for, for everybody. It's We've never done this before. Ever. Like, I mean... <laughs> No, and it's it's actually really hard for absolutely everybody I know. And I think that emotion contagion is so key. So the bad news is that we have the biggest impact on how well our kids do right now because they're looking to us to gauge how alarmed they should be. They're looking to us for reassurance. And if we are a mess, that's not going to go so well. But on the other hand, the good news is we have a lot to do with how well they do. So if we can find ways to stay centered ourselves and to process how we're feeling with a therapist or a partner or a good friend, then odds are we're going to do a better job helping our kids manage the ups and downs and modeling for them what we're doing to take care of ourselves. Yes, I completely agree. The self-care and having to process your own feelings before you can really deal with your kids' feelings. Like I am a... yeah big proponent of therapy and everything. So that is wonderful to hear. Where can people find you to connect with you? I'm on Twitter at, at pfagel. That's probably where I'm most active, but my articles and some of the videos that I've done podcasts are on my website, phyllisfagel.com. Awesome. Well, we have loved chatting with you. This has been amazing. And we have so much like great tips to use now with our middle schoolers. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I love talking to you both too. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Not only did Phyllis have amazing tips and information for us, but she was such a fun person. Oh my gosh. She yes. So like fun. I could see, I want her in our mom group to hang out with. I, I think we have like so many people we want in our mom group now. It's really, and there's, there's dads in our mom group too, uh, who yes. we find cool as well. But like, oh, she was just 
so fun. She was so real and she had great, great strategies for talking to kids about relationships and navigating that social minefield that's middle school. Oh, yes, because I do feel like, too, if we're going to throw in this whole 2020 thing, it's it's a rough transition time for your kids if they're transitioning to elementary to middle or middle to high school. There is a lot of social skills that they are not getting to practice or be exposed to the way that they typically need to developmentally right now. So yeah, it's it's really a nail biter as a parent sitting back and watching these transitions happen. It's really hard. And it's hard when your kids start like transferring like the relationship from you to their friends and really putting a lot of importance on what their friends think and putting less importance on what you think. It's kind of like a Oh, as a parent. Right. It's the moment of like, oh, I'm so glad you're thinking for yourself and growing up. But wait a minute, you're growing up too fast and stay close. Yeah. We we have to fight that urge to keep them underneath our wing. But uh-huh. at the same time, don't let them fly away too fast because we know they're going to fall. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's rough. It's so rough. But like a controlled fall is good for them. And that's something that we do need to remember. Yes. But ugh, this whole middle school thing, like I, I, told, I mentioned in the intro, like I was dreading the middle school years from the beginning of parenting (laughs) and not because like, just because they were so hard for me, but something Phyllis said in there is that some parents find that they are better parenting the middle school years than they were the younger years. And I find like, I am one of those parents. Like I really like the relationships and the like getting them to be independent and getting them to think to themselves and talking like about really big issues versus the younger set, which I was like, okay, yay. Dolls. I, I okay. So with that, like, okay, so she does talk about how there's that creative decline for middle school. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of like what you're reaching with there is that 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 uh I don't want to call it necessarily play, but it was that that play and that connection that you had with your younger kids were very much it, it was very strongly based on creative play with your kids. Again, dolls, Legos, like making animals talk, make, you know, all coming up with like creative games to play role play type stuff. You know, you had to think a lot on your feet when your kids were little. But now that they're in middle school, things get a little bit more, it's a different mindset. Like you said, like we don't, in order to connect with my child, I don't have to sit down and play dolls or Legos. Mm -hmm. I can actually have a conversation with them. And it amazes me the things that they pick up when I'm not around. Like my son just the other day, like he likes to watch YouTube videos of his gamer people. I don't know what to call them gamer YouTubers, whatever. And we were having a conversation about the election. My daughter feels very strongly about one candidate over another. And my son in the back seat just started piping out facts. And I'm like, yes, you're correct. Yes, you're correct. Out of curiosity, where did you get all that from? He's like, Mm, a lot of the ads on YouTube. <laughs> I did, this person does this, this person does that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not always. And he goes, no, trust me, I've heard enough of each that it made me then want to research it. So then I got on Google uh, and I started researching it more because I just wanted to find out the facts. So again, my point of this whole story is that it's much more higher level conversations mm-hmm. that you can have with your kids. And it also is very rewarding to see all that time we put in with them mm-hmm. when they were younger, showing with their own thought process now. Yeah. Like, oh, thank goodness. 
that you're thinking on your own. The things my daughter comes to me with, like we were having this one argument about, I can't even remember what it was about, probably about using your phone or, oh, it was probably about getting Snapchat. That was the last one we had. Oh, such a fun discussion and about I social media. <laughs> I didn't allow it, but she came to me with research and she's pulling up all these reviews on Common Sense Media and she like interviewed her friends to see but I was so impressed that she came to me with all of that. And it wasn't like just accepting my word as golden. She was like, no, but here's this and here's this and here's this. And I'm like, all valid points. Yep. And she made that and she was able to come to a conclusion based on that. Because mm-hmm. during it, she got a review from a friend that was like, oh, no, wait, something happened. Something happened friend. there. Yeah. So I, I asked right. her to like ask her friends if anything like inappropriate or anything kind of scary happened while they were on Snapchat. And she's like, no, nothing did. I'm like, just go ask him. And one friend was like, yeah, this happened. And she's like, oh, OK. Yeah. And I think wasn't that it that made her be like, yeah, maybe this isn't going to happen. Yeah. She's like, she, she was OK with the decision. Right. Because she understood all the facts. So it's amazing. Uh, you know, and it's funny because another thing, too, about middle school, this age group we see a lot of is anxiety, right, mm-hmm. about about so many different things. And one of the tidbits that I really enjoyed from Phyllis in her book was she talked about having a game and it was called the maybe game, right? And she talks about giving five reasons why something doesn't, it didn't happen or isn't going to happen. And I loved her idea. And I know you said you've used it before with your kids, how one of those reasons are just totally outlandish. So what was one of the reasons that you shared that was an outlandish one. Oh, I do it. I do it a lot with my son, but sometimes I can't do the maybe game with my son because he gets upset because oh. he's like, "You're making fun of my situation." But it's like, it's, it was something about how someone, I think it was with my daughter, how someone didn't invite her somewhere, and I'm like, maybe they didn't know you wanted to come. Maybe space aliens came and kidnapped their bodies and then returned them the next day. Maybe like stuff like that. <laughs> Just it does hopefully help them get the humor in the situation and then also be able to understand when they're doing that way too big of like negative self-talk in a situation. Yeah. They're like thinking through the process way too much. And you really can never tell what someone else is thinking. Like right. you really cannot predict that. You cannot predict intentions. You right. can't do any of that. So it shows them that thought process as well. Yeah, but, so I love that. Yeah, Phyllis was amazing. Phyllis yes. was amazing. Again, amazing. you need to run out and get her book. It was so, so amazing. If you enjoyed this podcast, which we really hope you did, if you've stuck around to this point, can you do us a favor? Can you review for us uh, just one to two sentences about what you liked about it and give us a star rating? Uh, hopefully we earned your five stars. It helps other parents find us and know that they are not alone in this parenting journey and giving them some great tips on how to make parenting feel easier and with less guilt. And let's read a review, Brie. Yes, we have an amazing review that is titled Amazing Perspectives from Whitney Lee 33. And in it, she says, I love the perspectives these ladies and the professionals they invite to contribute have for parenting in the 21st century with all these new problems we pioneer as moms. My favorite idea so far is that loving your family well does not equal doing all the things. Here, here. Yes, I can't wait to hear more from these mamas. So thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you, Whitney. Big, warm, fuzzy virtual hug there. <laughs> so until next time, remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you and we'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by.
No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.